Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. And I'm hovering near death. That's true. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA, Mission USA Productions. Feeling great. Feeling great. Glad to be here. Joining us all the way from Mercer, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. You know, Glenn, you didn't ask me if I was sick or well or anything like that. To be fair, he didn't ask anyone. He just announced yeah. his own condition, and then he really ran out of caring after that. It, look, I am sick, therefore, that's it. <laughs> sure. Well, since you're sick, since Lee's had a long day of doing church ministry, and since Jed and I are just lazy, yes. right. let's go ahead and try to get, let's try to get into it, because we got a big show today, folks. We do. We have right. upcoming an interview with singer, songwriter, hymnist extraordinaire, Sandra McCracken. Whoa, it was nice right. enough to nice. sit on the phone. We got to chat with Fancy. her. Fancy. We got some email questions from our friends. We got some questions on the Tumblr. We got a lot of good stuff to get into. So I think we should just jump in, right? Plus, I'm hopped up on NyQuil. Glenn's <laughs> all hopped up on the NyQuil. You know what, Matt? We do have a lot of big things. I don't think there's any telling what I might say. <laughs> He's riding the green dragon. <laughs> We've yes. got Glenn's health crisis, certainly. Yes. We've got, uh, and I think it's fair to say we're all pretty much in fanboy mode, what with the Santa McCracken interview. Sure. There's no yeah. question about that. We've got big questions with deep spiritual answers, but we have something that clearly outweighs all of those things, okay. oh. and by a significant margin, and that is a dog in a t-shirt. <laughs> we do have a dog in a t-shirt i That's declare a, a dog emergency dog emergency it's both a it's both a dog emergency and a cuteness emergency and a merch emergency oh that's my favorite and kind that is wow. the perfect that's, emergency that's the trifecta storm. of of emergencies matt give you a yeah. little background a couple of shows ago we were uh, discussing the university of tennessee mascot Smokey, who uh, i had seen on television dressed uh, wrapped in a blanket and dressed in a coonskin cap Wow. We, which I was a big fan of, and we we mentioned the idea of we like the idea of dogs dressed in clothing. Right. We like uh, we like the idea of mascots, so we threw out maybe we should have a mascot. Right. And then in a very offhanded, just to make a joke way, I said if you have a picture of your dog and would like them to be the mascot, send it in. And here's why we can't be trusted with that kind of power. <laughs> Our good friends, Mike and Nicole, you may remember them from a previous snickerdoodle emergency. Uh, oh, yes. yeah. Wow. Mike and Nicole making a very strong case for the number one super fan spot. Ooh, okay. I will point that um, out. Wow. Between the baked goods and Mike and Nicole engaged, Drake and Mary. I'm not sure whose dog this is. Nicole tweeted us the picture. That's at Nicole E. Sings on Twitter. Tweeted us a picture, not only of her dog, but of her dog wearing a Say That t-shirt. Okay. Wow. Okay. So just so I understand the rules of the contest, if this dog wins official pet, of the Say That podcast, then she mails her dog to us. That is that is incorrect <laughs> on every possible level. And then that that dog is featured on every subsequent podcast, barking and such. Exactly right. We we go to Rover for his deep spiritual wisdom. Right. Yeah. yeah. You we pay, we pass it around. Everybody. You know whatever. And he gives us the dog perspective. Well, because if he's look, if he's gonna be the official mascot, he's got to be present at headquarters worldwide. Exactly right. That's what I'm saying. So, I, you know, here's you why that's it? not true. I there's precedent that mascots do not have to be present. This okay. is a true fact. Tell me. The LSU Tigers have a tiger. 
Right. His name's Mike. Okay. Right. Mike the Tiger. Who they bring to the games. Right. Except this year, because at some point, and I'm talking about the home games, they, he just decided he didn't want to get out of that cage. And then one of the <laughs> best sentences I've ever read, the sports writer that said, and Mike's handlers have a very prudent policy of not trying to make him do things he doesn't want to do. <laughs> I see. They're all covered in scratch marks. Yeah, just, yeah, you know yeah. what, Mike? You just hang out. Can we just yeah, go yeah. ahead and say that, that every, like, all, all the people on the Mission USA staff need to basically treat you that way, Glenn. That they need to just yeah. go ahead and decide. We're not. We have a strict policy. We're not going to make Glenn do hey. what he doesn't want to do. Hey, well, Glenn rules cage, this organization you know. with an iron fist, so yeah. it's not really an option. Well, that's absolutely true. And here's what I'm saying: Look, we're skyping Lee in. Okay, that's fine. But we can't Skype a dog in here. Clearly not. <laughs> Why that's not? A, that's a different. That's so, a whole different thing. So, in your mind, mailing a dog, yeah, is a much more realistic option than Skyping a dog. Look, you lick a stamp, you put it on his forehead, they got to take him. That's <laughs> just right. the law, okay? That's, that's the way the mail works, No part of Matt. that is accurate. It's America, all right? That's America. Uh, the, the United Postal States Postal Service. Service is in a fiscal crisis, and right. if you could just send dogs, I don't think that would be the case. Well, here's the question. Can Because Matt is so good at like the internet and you know, technology and stuff like that. Can Matt get like a hologram of the dog, like an Obi Wan style? Oh yeah, like a full Tupac, a blue. Yeah, yeah. Th- <laughs> wow. Like kind a, of will like I am Coachella. CNN election night coverage. Yeah, yeah. 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 That Dude, would be great. Hologram dog would be pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. Uh, why have we not had that? Already? Why have we not started a band called that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, look, I mean, I don't think we want to jump to conclusions. I, clearly, yes, Mike <laughs> and Nicole, us. not us. They are the front runners. There's no question about right, that. Right, but I right. think the combination of pet plus merch, it opens a lot of, you know, the idea doors, right? Yeah, yeah. We've done Say That Beanies. Right. Right. You could take your cat and kind of, you know, cover him in a Say That Beanie, either as a hat, uh, for, depending on the size of the cat, or as a carry-all for your cat. Jed, I'm guessing you've never really owned a cat. No, not at all. Because uh, the idea of trying to put a hat or anything on a cat that the cat does not want to give that that Dr. Seuss book was not a documentary. <laughs> Yeah. If you that will lead us. to scratches, the types of which you have never foreseen. If you send us a say that cat in the hat, that will make me so, <laughs> so happy. Yeah. I, I can't even Done tell so. you. Look, yes, clearly Mike and Nicole are the front runners, but the say that cat in the hat, that, that has legs. Well, here's the other thing. We say front runners because, especially on the baked goods, we want you people to feel a competitive spirit because that Absolutely means we right. get more stuff. Absolutely but right. here... I think there's room for a lot of people. I think the say that menagerie has a. You got a pet turtle? Okay, right. That's where I'm put, talking put about. A, put one of the little wristbands on him. Right? Yes. No, no, no. Go, go the official full, turtle. Go the full way. Paint the logo on the turtle shell. Yes, That's what I'm saying. Yes. Now, Graffiti your turtle. Um, Jesus. Wait a minute. I'm getting Why a note from the legal department. Right <laughs> no, no members say that, especially the younger is a veterinarian. Please do not put paint on your pets without checking with a veterinarian first. Here's what I'm trying to put forth here one of the things we love on this show is people send us food yes right. and then we enjoy that's pretty it. much the main reason we do it it's the long con it's the free baked goods <laughs> here's what i'm saying what if we had an official pet of the podcast that we could then subsequently eat <laughs> no i think no. that would generate some bad press no. i mean i feel you i hear you it's it's it, it's fluffy <laughs> the say that chicken Right. You see what I'm saying? There's yeah. a lot of issues with that because chickens running, are not fluffy. He's running around. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
And then at some point, we're enjoying a lovely you chicken, know, tasty dinner. chicken dinner. And it's I think, like, uh, uh, I think if you we're have, looking for a new mascot. I, I think, think if you have an intention <laughs> of consuming the animal, yeah. it no longer qualifies as a pet or a mascot. As soon as in your mind, uh, you go, I could probably eat that. No longer a pet. Matt, how many, yes. how many organizations that, if they were listening to this podcast, would be really coming after us at this point? Many. I mean, I, all of them. I mean, I'm I'm thinking somebody's going to be there at the bridge to throw paint on Glenn as it yeah, is. As a pita, I, and not just because he's wearing that full length mink. Well, yeah. of course, but for many other reasons. Well, there's also the U.S. Postal Service and possibly <laughs> some sort of farm bureau. You know, you know what? <laughs> Purely basing this on unfair stereotypes. I'm not sure that postal workers and farmers are really people we want coming after us. Probably Look, not. Here's what I'm saying: be offended by the idea or not. Right now, are you not thinking that say that chicken would be tasty and delicious? Right now, sure. I'm yeah, not really. comfortable with your idea that what a chicken's what titles a chicken holds in life leads to how tasty they are. Let me say. Let me just say this: say that chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? yeah, that's right. That is happening. And then, uh, then you get a new mascot. You know, say that chicken nuggets, they come with two dipping sauces, right. ranch, yes. and wisdom. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I just blew your mind, didn't I? You definitely blew my mind. Well, I think before we mention any more slaughtering of animals, <laughs> before we try to get anyone to send us a living creature, or before I make one of the 700 Chick-fil-A jokes currently running through my mind, <laughs> it's time to declare emergency off. Emergency off. Now, we, we mentioned not only the dog, but it was the dog in the t-shirt that really put it over the top. We have more t-shirts. We've got wristbands. We've got beanies. We've even got a few buttons left. If you would like some Say That merch to really brighten up your holiday season, there's only one way to get it. That's by signing up for Bridgebox. Bridgebox is our monthly digital magazine. We just got the December one coming out. The, uh, the topic of which is, how do I, what does it mean for God to give me a gift? Got uh, Jed leading some live worship songs, preaching from Glenn and myself, a song that Lee wrote that his wife sang, stuff from our friends Pete and Tasha, stuff from our uh, friend Ella Melser up there in uh, Canada, I believe. We have a devotional from uh, Wheaton professor Noah Tolley, a lot of good stuff. That's the kind of stuff you get in every month, so that's $8 a month. You support our ministry, and if you sign up for the month of December, pick a piece of merch, email me, Matt, at MissionUSA.com, and we'll send you one. Or you can sign up for the Lee Younger version, MissionUSA.com slash BBY. Lee may have a couple of Lee Younger t-shirts still floating around down there, and you can also get a piece of Say That merch for that. Yes, so awesome. Ooh. Those dresses again, MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox, MissionUSA.com slash BBY. And, and by the way, that's where I got this cold is from a Canadian. That's true. From our from our legal intern, Woody, <laughs> uh, I got the Canadian flu. Sure. It's the politest flu. Let me tell you what. They don't, you know why they're spreading germs, these Canadians? They got that universal health care that's all free. So they, they get sick, they don't even care. <laughs> all right. Well, then they're before coming we down get into here. any more um, national stereotypes <laughs> or debates about health care, <laughs> welcome, new listeners. Let's just go ahead and move on to the spiritual questions. I'm just right. saying Canadians have germs. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> If you're a Canadian postal employee who also happens to do some farming on the side, we hope this wasn't the first time you tuned in. We're sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Pretty much a general sorry. we're sorry. 
which just proves that Glenn's got the Canadian flu. Yeah, that's right. That is the Canadian flu is over apologizing. Yes. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on to our first question here. If it kills me. All right. <laughs> this came into our email inbox. It says, hey, guys, I'm having a hard time with my identity. I want to be thought of as a good man, a loyal man, a man that someone would be proud to know. But one little thing can mess all that up. I need to think my identity in Christ, but I know, I know that he loves me and I'm God's son, but I have a hard time making that my identity. Any advice on this? Jed, can you kick us off? I can, yeah. I think we need, for some very, very good spiritual wisdom, we need to turn to Dennis Rodman, of all people. Here's why I say that. Before, he's been kind of a weirdo in the last little bit, but there's a time... <laughs> Not kind of, a not, lot. Yeah. Also, not last little bit. Well, you yeah. know, But Jed doesn't follow the NBA, so he wouldn't know. Go ahead. Here's what I'm saying, though. There was a time when he was an amazing, amazing, amazing basketball player, one of the best guys in the world. But before that, he worked the overnight shift doing baggage handling at an airport in Texas. Right. That was his gig before that. Ouch. Now, somebody came along and saw him and said, I think you should try playing basketball. And he went out, and he did, and it worked, and then his whole life changed. The thing to know is that Dennis Rodman had all that potential. He was a basketball player before he stepped onto the court. He just didn't know it. Right. He needed someone to come to him and say, I think you're a basketball player. Let's go shoot some hoops. I say that because the same kind of things are true about you. You say that you want to be a good man, a loyal man, a man that someone would be proud to know. What if you are? It's a matter of living the kind of life that a good and loyal man would live. What if if the difference is not so much um, who you are inside, it's letting who you are on the inside out into the world. Dennis Rodman had all the makings of a great basketball player, but he did actually have to go and shoot some hoops for that to come to life. Well, I wonder if the same thing is true for you. In other words... You want to live into who Jesus says you are, but to do that, you need to take big risks. You need to have adventures. You need to find people and serve them in love. You need to put yourself out there and do things that are over your head where you're required to rely on God's strength um, to get them done. What won't work is to try and, in some sort of an intellectual or emotional way, will yourself into being a different kind of dude right. and then live it out. That mm. that doesn't work. Right. We have to start by doing new things, living a new way, having new adventures and, and new things that we're going after, and then we'll discover that we are who Jesus said we were all along. Oh, yes, absolutely. One of the things that kind of counterintuitively stands in the way of this is that perception of who you are, right. which is code word for ego, and that's got to get out of the way, right, Glenn? Absolutely. You know, not to pick at nits here, but uh, you say, I want to be thought of as a good man, a loyal man, a man uh, that someone would be proud to know. Uh, it, that's a little bit different from saying, I would like to be a good man, a loyal yeah, man. That's true. Be, that, that's, yeah. There's a bit of a difference That's, that's looking at the result as opposed to the action. Exactly right. Um, again, I, I don't want to make too big a deal of that, but this is a thing when we're dealing with the human ego, when we're dealing with this is what I'm struggling with, this is... Um, I want to be perceived in this positive way. What we're doing is we're um, putting our ego into that mix and say, okay, in order for this to move forward, in order for me to feel like I'm you know, uh, having a good walk and whatever, I need that to be confirmed in my ego. Yeah. Here's the thing is just about anything you want to do for the Lord in terms of serving the Lord, that ego is going to get punished yep. okay, right away. Yeah, all of us uh, on this podcast have done stuff for the Lord, and it seems like you know, in terms of service, it seems like one of the first things that happened is our ego just got smooshed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, and we we came to realize that it's not about us. It's you know that that 
we can't satisfy our, our ego and put Jesus at the center of what's going on. We can't serve people in love and and be there for them and build our ego at the same time. Those things don't go together. Uh, so I think uh, while it's it's a good idea to be thought of as all these good things, uh, what you really want to do is die to self. You want to you, you want to be invisible to the process. Uh, and uh, uh, let people see God in you. Yeah, absolutely. And Lee, actually, the people you surround yourself with has a lot of impact on that process, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things for me is, and, and this kind of goes together with things that, that Jed and Glenn are both saying, but that, you know, what if you have this stuff going on? And however people see you, what what if there is this kind of man of God in you but you yeah. just can't you can't see it. And one of the things for me that I have to have is I have to have a life filled with people who love Jesus, who love me, who are who are kind of where I am in my spiritual walk and also ahead of me in my spiritual walk so that they can so that they can kind of call me out to tell me the things I need to hear to encourage me about the things that they see in me and to kind of spur yeah. me on to where I need to be next. I mean it's one of those it's a funny thing but like you know when when I like when I first started playing the guitar um, I, you know, I, I, I messed around with the guitar for a long time, just kind of playing around in my bedroom or on my couch or something like that. And then, um, after, you know, about a year of that, I, I, I made friends with this dude, uh, in my neighborhood who played guitar about a thousand times better than I, than I could. And he said, let's form a band together. And we started playing a couple of times a week. And then we started playing shows. Well, in a couple of months, I got so much better at the guitar. Yeah. Just because yeah, yeah. I was playing with somebody who was way better than me and he would say, "Check it out. Why don't you try doing this transition this way? And let's do that again together." And all of a sudden like I just grew so much more. I just got so yeah. much better at it just because I was chasing this dude that was so much better. At the same time, I started hanging out with another guy who was really good at writing songs. And that was something I wanted to do, but I never knew how to do it. And all of a sudden, we're kind of working on songs together, batting ideas back and forth. And and all of a sudden, I realized, like, I can write songs. I had no idea. The thing is, your spiritual life is really the same way. And what you find with a lot of, of guys in the church especially a lot of Christian guys is that they're just trying to lone wolf their whole Christian walk. They're just trying to make it. They're just trying to go. There's, you know, I, you know, I should be, I should be able to grow on my own. I should be independent. I should be a strong and steady man and all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing, like we just don't have what it takes to be those people. I mean, you know, I I know that I don't. And so, you know, I have several groups of, you know, I have several guys that I meet with every single week and we're just real honest about our life, uh, our struggles, and you know, and and if if I have a you know, uh, I'll share a thing, and I'm feeling kind of you know, I'm feeling kind of shaky or iffy about this thing, and one of my friends will say, you know what, you need to back that down because you're really doing well. You know, I, yeah, I actually yeah, really yeah. like where you are on that. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. Let me tell you why. You know, and and then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I'm doing better than I thought. Or you yeah. know, another time I'll come to the thing, and my friends are like. You know, you really need to ease off on that. You really need to. You really need to change this thing. And and you know, and they and they you know they make a good case for it. We do that for each other. In other words, you need to get some people around you who love you, who love Jesus, who you're not afraid to be vulnerable and honest with. And then mm-hmm. you can grow together. And you can and and all this stuff that's like Jed saying is probably inside you will start yeah. to really really take hold. 
No doubt, no doubt. That's absolutely right. Cool. Chad, jump in there. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the thing about ego, and, and another word really, you know, in, in this application is is pride. The thing about mm. ego and, and pride is they keep you from seeing where you're really at. Yeah, okay. You know, everybody struggles with blind spots about where they're at, how they're doing, what their potential is. But ego, the funny thing about it is it wants you to look at yourself all day long, but it will keep you from seeing what's there when you yeah, look. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. deep. That's the crazy thing about ego. Humility, it's a common misunderstanding. Christians, they say, humility, well, that means I feel bad about myself. Not at all. That's that's not what humility is. Humility means having an increasingly accurate sense of who you are, strengths and weaknesses both, and accepting it. That's what humility actually means, and that's what God wants for you. And that's what Lee is describing when he talks about, dude, I don't know how to write songs, but this guy does, so I could go and hang out with him and learn how to write songs. If you're not humble enough to say, I actually don't know anything about that, then you can't ever take the step of going and learning. Here's the funny thing, though. Pride is just as much pride when you're insisting on a low opinion of yourself that's not appropriate is when you're insisting on a high opinion of yourself. Mm. Christians think pride means I think I'm so great. Well, it can, but pride, what it's really about is the insistence that I know. Mm. Whatever the verdict is, whatever I've decided, I know and I can't be dissuaded Mm. from it. My opinion is final. If you have an unwarranted low opinion of yourself that you've just decided is the case, like I'm not a good man, I wish I was, but I'm just not, that actually is pride. We don't ever think, in the modern church, we don't ever think of that as pride, but classical Christianity would. They Mm -hmm. they would say that's 100% pride. That's that's what that is. Humility says, I don't know what kind of dude I am. I need the Word to tell me, I need Jesus to tell me, and as uh, Lee's saying, I need brothers to tell me, to step Mm -hmm. into my life and tell me. But humility will allow you to see yourself in an accurate way, even uh, in a way that ego and pride will keep you from seeing even though you're focused on yourself. Well, and, and one thing that's interesting about this too is, I mean, I love the where, you know, uh, where this guy wants to be. I, I want to be a good man. I want to be somebody want, somebody wants to know and stuff like that. But at the same time, we do have to get to the place where we realize, and yet I'm never going to arrive while I'm on the green side of the grass. And yeah. so I can mm. relax a little bit and realize that we all have growing edges. I don't necessarily see where all of them are. And that is why I need people. That is why we need yeah. each other. But it's okay if I'm like if if I'm on a process, I don't have to arrive on all this no stuff. Doubt. And in a in a complete sense, I never really will. And and that's okay. I mean that that's why we all need to give each other grace and that whole thing. That's absolutely right. One of the things that combines both what Lee was talking about there with the community aspect and what uh, Jed's talking about with the humility to have an accurate representation. The other thing that does is immunes you from the wrong people trying to play mm-hmm. you because mm-hmm. if you put one of the things that happens if you go with, I just want to be seen as X. Yeah. Eventually, if you let that kind of sit in your brain long enough, you will just do anything to get anyone to say that. Yeah. Right. Which makes you very prone to getting manipulated. Right, Glenn? Absolutely. That's the whole thing. And, and, and I would key off of what Jeff was just saying. It's really excellent. It's this idea of I'm looking for input from, you know, a larger body of people to tell me who I am in order to give me that sense of identity they're aware of that. They'll yep. sense that. Uh, some people will use that to manipulate me, so I definitely don't want to do that. But as Jez pointing out, even so, if I've decided I kind of am not a good dude or a smart dude or whatever the identity thing is, it doesn't matter how many people tell me otherwise. Yes. Because it's my decision. I've I've chosen to see myself yeah. that way. I am a bad person. Yeah. Um, 
but the difference is when I give up, when I when I die to self, when I say it just doesn't matter whether I'm smart or not, I got what I got, and God can do something with it. Yeah. When we when we get rid of the ego altogether, and we lose ourselves in Christ, and we have that connection, and and uh, it, it's not me over here and Jesus over here. It's the two of us, and it's a symbiotic thing. There's a connected thing. When when it's all one thing at that point, then I have my identity. Yeah. That you're yeah. looking for. That's where yeah. I find. Uh, it's it's not a thing you have to work towards achieving or conceptualizing or whatever. It's a getting rid of that human sense of ego in order to understand the spiritual realities of the connectedness that you have with the Lord and the meaningfulness that goes with it. That's absolutely right. I've summed this question up by a lot of what these guys are saying, that it's important. It's more important to be the thing than to be thought of as the thing. No doubt. Right. Because when you just want to be thought of as something— there's a ton of cheats to get that. There's people who are saying, well, and massage your ego on that stuff. There's a, there's a quote that will simultaneously motivate you, if you're like me, will simultaneously motivate you and haunt your living nightmares. It's from Aristotle, and it says, you are what you repeatedly do. Yeah. If you yeah. want to be thought of as a good person, repeatedly do good things. If you want to be thought of as a loyal person, repeatedly be loyal. The thing about that also is that it will make you, hopefully, like these guys are saying, with the help of some prayer and some mentorship, the first thing you got to do is decide what those things are. You have to work out between yourself and the Lord what is good, what is loyalty. Being doing things for loyal, being loyal to people who's not who are not loyal to you is not actually loyalty. That's being a sucker. Yeah. You don't want to be thought <laughs> right. as a sucker. Right. You want to be thought of being loyal. Be loyal. Don't be a sucker. Right. But right. that's if you if you along with the way people play you, if you just decide I want to be thought of as good, I want to be thought of as whatever, this also goes with I want to be thought of as Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you just want to be thought of that way, what you're doing is letting other people define what that is for you and you right. have to run to their definition. Right. That's what we're right. telling you to do get together with the Lord, some people you trust, some people you uh you know, free feel feel free to email any of us on these specifics and say Okay, I want to be this kind of dude. What what does that look like? What does the Bible say about that? And then you run at those things, and it as we talk about a lot on the show, it'll act as a litmus test of the people you want in your life will gravitate to that, and the people you don't want in your life really won't. Yeah, that's completely true. So, all right, that's we're gonna move on now. We're gonna take you to my interview with singer songwriter Sandra McCracken. We talk yeah. about a lot of good stuff, a lot of good projects. Ooh. We one of the reasons we uh, got her one is we're all huge fans of her music, but also. We've noticed in a couple of years of doing Bridgebox and the Bridge Podcast and stuff is that uh, you guys tend to like reworked hymns, like people who take the words of old hymns and put new kind of cooler music to it. And um, for for our money, she's one of the the a innovators of that and no doubt. the best people in the world at that. So we talked Absolutely. we talked a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about her doing some children's music stuff and working with other women and a lot of good stuff. So we're gonna take that interview right now. Um, your work with hymns just fascinates me because we've actually started doing a little bit of that up here, and we're kind of surprised mm-hmm. how much young people respond to hymns that are kind of put in their a more yeah. pop sensibility. How did you get started mm-hmm. into the whole reworking hymns thing? Well, you know, I think um, I think it came pretty naturally to me as a as a young girl and songwriter, I started writing songs when I was in middle school, but I also did a lot of church music and I played everything from, you know, the hymn all itself to show tunes and Broadway music that I would just sit at the piano and I would sing and play. That was a, um, 
a daily practice for me. So hymn writing came out of, even in when I was probably 16 years old, I remember sitting with the hymnal and kind of craving something different from the music when I would try to play mm-hmm. it. I wanted something a little more expressive than just those four part, you know, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, and when, when I really love that style and I love the history we have in that, I felt like so many of these hymns were so stirring to me lyrically and I craved something more for them. So I, I dabbled in it a little bit as a teenager. And then I went to college and moved to Nashville. And at that point I was part of a college group, um, that later became Reform University Fellowship, more structured, but that group at RUF, we um, would gather and sing hymns in usually in like a multi-purpose room or in a classroom or in somebody's living room where we didn't have hymnals, but we would we would just sit with guitars and they and you know whoever was leading would strum guitars and a lot of them were the traditional tunes, but then people began to write. People were writing new tunes for some of these old texts that had eight and nine verses, and you just like sing all the way through them. And wow! I just found those to be I, it was like out of my parents' house, and I wasn't going to my parents' church, and I was like, "Wow, this is really um, this translates. I can relate to this. I can relate to this as a college student. I can relate to this as a young adult that um, has, I mean, had a lot of questions and didn't really know where I would land and rich theology and the history of those hymns that have been tested um, became an anchor to me in those years and learning to sing them. And it still is. I think even almost 20 years later, it's been, um, those songs have been with me in different life stages and within our community with weddings and deaths and births and um, everything you can imagine, you know, of the human experience when you don't have other words, we have these hymns to like go with us into, you know, some of the places of mystery in our lives. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Kind of using those as, a, yeah, kind of a shibboleth. Like, just people know those. Mm-hmm. And you started, yeah. I think I'm right in following your social media and stuff. Have you started doing just kind of hymn sings, either along yeah. with or in addition to your concerts? Mm-hmm. What's I that? Have. Ex- I've been doing more of that. That's really cool. What's that experience like as compared to just going up there and performing? Yeah, I think um, a couple of years, about two years ago, I started doing house shows for the first time. And that transition began a different interaction with people in that in that setting. And, and I, I'm an introvert, so I thought, oh, this is going to be really awkward and I'm going to feel really shy. As it turned out, it was... Um, it was a much more robust experience of sharing with people in a room than being on a stage and having the distance between, you know, lights and production and all that. And not that I played big shows before. I mean, um, but I think getting into a room where people are disarmed and, um, so that was part of the, the, the time, you know, the timeline for me. And then after that, I realized as I was in these living rooms and with, small groups of people that people want to sing and we I think just the idea of singing together is a lost art in our culture mm-hmm. I mean we sing to the radio we sing in the shower we sing in our cars um but um to sing together in a room is um 
is such a primal human experience. Sure. Irreplaceable, you know? And so these hymns, I think, become, even for people that are not in the church, there are a lot of the hymns that are still comfortable that people know or they remember their grandmother singing. And Mm -hmm. it can be so invitational to just say, hey, you know, um, let's sing Amazing Grace or let's sing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. So it's grown from there, and and I certainly do a lot of the Indelible Grace um, catalog or songs when I do that. And... um, in different settings. So sometimes they're in churches or sometimes they're in living rooms um, um, and kind of a range of places. But I feel like the experience of singing together and being able to lead that, it's not quite like, um, it's not church and it's not really camp and it does have elements of performance, but it's an interesting hybrid of all those things, you know. So I've, I've enjoyed doing him things. That's really cool. Um, you mentioned a little bit about what you appeals to you about these hymns as far as the, the theology, the richness, and the the lyrics. Is there anything about that that you've taken into your own songwriting or that you now kind of look for and stuff that encourages you? Yeah, there's they, I feel like, have shaped me over the years. The hymns have shaped me um, in a lot of a similar way to what scripture does, like memorizing mm. Bible verses has really also kind of gets into your, into your cellular memory. And then and there are moments that, that God will bring that to your mind. And so that'll come in. So for me as a songwriter, because that's my vocation, but I don't think it's limited to that. So for me, it comes out in other songs that I write and um, there will be little little clips or lines or words or phrases that come out of scripture and come out of other hymns. Probably on my second record, um, which was, I think, 2002, um, the, the album, Just Flat Road, there's a song mm-hmm. of Now and Then. Yeah. And there's a line in there about as, as my days demand, as, as my days demand, which is from the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. And, um, and I don't even, I wasn't like consciously trying to work it in. It just came out as part of that. And that's a, that's a secondary reference because it's probably from Psalm 139 before that. But uh-huh. the way that it works itself into the poetry, the hymns, you know, kind of trace these things. Like no, there's nothing that's really an original thought, but I do feel like the hymns are written on me in that way. And another aspect of how it's shaping me and the community is that words from the hymns that are out of circulation in everyday language that Mm -hmm. when you honor those and bring them in, they become part of, they kind of get recirculated. And, and I think that can be, I don't know, that can be kind of a cool thing. Like I remember I've heard people talking about on come out of every blessing. Some people change the second verse where it says here, I raise my Ebenezer. Um, Some people, kind of shy away from that word Ebenezer because it's like, I don't are we talking about Christmas Carol? Like what yeah. you know? And um and I get and I get that things there are some things that need to be kind of refined and brought into in, in a present moment in culture. Um so I do that some but I feel like some of them are worth fighting for, you know, and that one is one I felt like was worth fighting for, like keeping that word Ebenezer and having people ask the question or taking two minutes before singing it and saying, This word is an old testament 
story that means this is a place where God meets us and that you set up a little, you know, a little altar, a little monument there to say, this is a place that we want to remember that God met us in this way. And a lot of the Christian experience is looking back and saying, you know, I remember what God's done. I remember what he's done. And like, this is a long tradition in, in, um, in among God's people to do that. And I think the way we look forward is in, in, in large part how we look back at his faithfulness. And so the word Ebenezer, keeping it in the hymn, singing it. And then sometimes in, it comes up in conversations, like my friends and I will be talking and then they'll be like, you know, that comes out in context of relationship. It's like we have these inside stories and just like if we have, if we're quoting Austin Powers or if we're quoting, you know, like the the three amigos, I mean, these classic movies or whatever they are, you know, it's like that. um, I might've just dated myself there. It's no problem. (laughs) But, but in that, whatever they are, these cultural references that are written on us are meaningful and they shape us. And we have a lot to draw from that is just waiting for us to pay attention. I think that's a really cool point. Um, I know, the church that I went to when I was in Tennessee that um, they sang um, Arise My Soul a lot. And I think it's yeah. a word you also have. And I think I really love your version of the love of Christ is rich and f- rich and free. Pardon me. Mm. But that the idea of a surety. Yeah. And um, to kind hear, of. you know, middle school kids and high school kids singing about that without really knowing what it means. And then yeah. asking the question or going back and digging and looking it up themselves. There is that kind of another yeah. layer of richness that just, spoon feeding the the word someone knows to someone kind of denies them of. Mm-hmm. And one of the yeah. other projects as we move on here, one of the other projects you're involved in is rain for roots, which is a, a some records for children. And there's, I wanted to ask you, cause that has a lot of the same um, theory behind it. It seems like I was listening to some of the samples last night and there's a, pardon me, <clears throat> pardon me. There's a sim a simpleness without a simplicity, maybe like mm-hmm. you're it's concepts that children can understand, but you're not dumbing it down. Like you have a song about Zacchaeus and yeah. some other, there's some real theological <laughs> concepts going on there. Like really enjoyed your reworking of kind of the Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. How do you go about that? Writing music for kids. Like what's, what's important to communicate to kids. What's, what do you get out of that? I know you're a mom and that's, so it's a big yeah. part of kind of your, your constant mission field. Yeah. Yeah, I think both in both cases, it's like honoring the dignity of, you know, people that are singing the songs. So to leave those words in, like we were just saying, you trust that people can, um, their hearts can expand to that. And it's not about education or academics. It's about dignity of another human being, which is the same thing in the children's work, is that children are, they are forming, they are small, they are not you know, um, they're not mature yet, but their dignity is fully formed. Like mm-hmm. who they are is already there in inside them, you know, like it's already there. So this sense of calling them out and, and entrusting and honoring them and expecting a lot of them in terms of their, um, I mean, there are things that, that my children understand and can hold on to about, about the gospel and about their faith that, is very is more difficult for me than for them. So there's a way that it's like such an equalizer to say we are all on this journey of what it is to 
depend on God, to hear God speak to us in our lives, to hear him speak. So whether it's in my daughter who's in kindergarten, um, and or whether it's me at a meeting or at a show or traveling and I mean there whatever is in the course of the day that has been appointed for for me to experience the presence of God. And um so I feel like those songs, the Rain for Root songs are um hopefully like our hope, me and the other girls, like is to um dignify children by speaking uh, the simple truths of of Jesus and of the gospel and into their lives and hearts and doing it by way of like songs that are fun to sing and hopefully not ones that they're going to hate singing in <laughs> 20 years. You know, like that would be the goal is like that they don't regret <laughs> and that we don't regret the melodies. Um, like many of the camp songs I remember from when I was really little. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you as know. parents, there's also a, you, you know what it is to be trapped in the minivan with yes. songs that make you want to tear your own eyes out. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I'm Rainfruits sure. is very much not that. I'm, I don't have any kids, but I do <laughs> own the Rainfruits record, so they are, they are beyond, they are well beyond children's music. But I, yeah. the interesting thing about that, and you're, you've talked a lot about kind of the community, and I know that you guys have there in East Nashville and the Rainfruits thing. One of the interesting things about that is, I don't know if this is necessarily a fair comparison to draw, but in the same way that maybe kids aren't treated with the dignity they deserve sometimes, seems like a little bit women in the church aren't. Uh, kind of that, yeah. the pink Bible, um, yeah. kind of white <laughs> overwashing. And how, what is it like for you to have that experience of that group of women, be it the Arasha thing, which um, we talked yeah. about a little bit, or the Rain for Roots, or even these hymn sings, to a group of women of God using their talents in... I mean, ministry is still a male-dominated field, and yeah. we talk about around here a lot of times, there's a reason that that is part of the fall, if you've ever mm-hmm. had men organizing things versus women organizing things, as my mm-hmm. my my boss and co-host said. There's a reason uh, the whole men being in charge thing happened when God was mad. But <laughs> what, what's the ex- is there a special experience I mean, to it being a group of women using their talents like that to really minister to people? Wow, that's really interesting. I've not thought about that. I do think it's um, still a relevant conversation, um, and always. I think it's always going to be um, something that is meaningful to talk about. Is how do we? What is? Um, what is? Does it mean to be um, different, but um, but also equal, and all mm-hmm. these things within our gender roles and. You know, you mentioned like the pink Bible. I think it's not just in the church. It's also like, like Legos. Okay. So my, you know, like the Legos friends, like, why do we got to have girls Legos? I mean, I just. (laughs) Yeah. If if there was anything that is truly unisex, surely it would be Legos. Yeah. Now, from that standpoint, it's like, okay, that's smart business. Somebody's marketing. And honestly, that's the same thing with the pink Bible. It's like, mm-hmm. are we going to just mimic what that is to just say, oh, well, I could sell you more products, more goods. And I think the way that Jesus related with women was so dramatically different than that, the way he dignified women and mm-hmm. and, um, and brought them in to the center of the conversation in so many ways. And... um so I think that that I hadn't really thought about it in terms of Ranger Roots. That it's been a natural extension of our friendship in the neighborhood and as mothers. That when we sat around and talked about songs we were singing and wanted to write 
music for children and all of us have a lot of other projects going on in our lives. So we didn't, I don't think any of us really had it in us to go like individually make children's records, but mm-hmm. this was such a um, cool thing to be able to do with some of my good friends. And I think that just in an implicit way, I think it shows, um, it shows that there's a lot of beauty and, um, I mean, I, I just love getting to hear the songs that the girls write and, um, the way that they parent their kids, the way that they ask questions that make me think about the world in new ways. Um, it's, I think that that in and of itself, like to do to apply ourselves to art making that is as excellent as we can possibly make it. Um, and to, to work toward that, I think that adds dignity, um, not adds it, but it it um it displays the dignity that God has already given us, and I'm so thankful for that kind of work to be done. But I think it's more implicit than explicit; like it just kind of happens. That's yeah, really um, cool. So it's a good question, though. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Well, I'm so thankful for your time. Um, thank you so much for joining us. If folks want to get a hold of want to get a hold of you, uh, SandraMcCracken.com and at SandraMcCracken on Twitter. Is that probably the best way? Yeah, that'd be great. And um, there's the Rain for Roots. I think all that music is up on Bandcamp. If that's if anybody wanted to listen to it, you can stream it there and hear it. Um, and it's like you know, not just for people with kids, or not just for kids. <laughs> so yeah, thanks, Matt. I really enjoyed talking with you. All right. We really hope you enjoyed that. Again, I want to thank Sandra for taking the time out to uh, sit down and chat with me, give you some stuff. Awesome. If you want to find her music, which you really should, com. That's S-A-D-N-R-A-M-C-C-R-A-C-K-E-N.com. At Sandra McCracken on Twitter. All of her stuff's on iTunes. If you want to go to that children's record we talked about, maybe if you do children's ministry or just have some uh, parents you want stuff for, if you're a parent who wants to stuff, you're rainforroots.com. And Sandra, if you really like the reworked hymns, a lot of it's on her album, but she's also in part of a group called Indelible Grace that puts out records every once in a while, and you can find that by Googling Indelible Grace. All right, we will move on to our next question. It comes into our email inbox from our man Zach Hughes down there at Belmont University in Nashville. Okay. Zach says, how do you start your day? I usually find that if I don't take certain steps early in the day before everything gets going, it's hard for me to be a human being and not a big prickly blob Mm. that uses grunts to communicate. (laughs) So what do you guys do in the morning? How do you prepare for your day? My mind jumps instantly when I wake up to whatever obligations I have for the day. It's always, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? It stresses me out. I'm never happy because of this. What is the good place to get to that doesn't revolve around obligations and itinerary focus? Glenn, you love the morning. Why don't you start us off? <laughs> you say uh, prickly blob. That would that's several stages up from what I wake up. <laughs> I, I just wake up in a blind rage. My favorite Glenn morning story is is a couple years ago, a couple summers ago, is me, Glenn, his wife Jane, and our friend coworker Tasha. We're going to go down to where the church where Lee is and see the people. And it's a, like a ten hour drive, so we were leaving like eight in the morning. And me, Jane, and Tasha are all gathered kind of in the uh, the kitchen there. And Glenn comes down from his bedroom, looks at all of us, and this is the only thing he said. Really? <laughs> that was the only word he said for about 30 more minutes. Yeah. Glenn, can you see how you start? Really? <laughs> really we're doing this? So that just give you guys a picture. Yeah. 
yeah i i'm i'm not good with warnings either and and so i can certainly relate um the first thing and, and uh, but i am like you i can I, I i have the exact same viewpoint i have to get my um focus going i have to get my uh i sense of what i need to do for this day together if i let just all the stuff from my life invade my brain when i wake up combined with the grumpy attitude it's gonna be a bad way to start the day no question about it the first thing that i look at is attitude always 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 attitude what should my attitude be about all these things that are flooding into my mind all these things i'm trying to think uh, uh all that that's going on um that has a way of giving me a very quick thumbnail view of all of it you know so if there's something that's making me angry and I say, Lord, what should my attitude be? And the Lord says, I think you should be angry. That's awful. Well, then I'm just, oh, okay. That's, a, you know. Sure, do better than I thought. Right. Uh, there are times I say, Lord, this really makes me angry. He says, that's, that's a trap. Don't fall for that. That's, that's just, you know, the enemy's trying to do something with your head. Don't let it be like that. Uh, so I have to, uh, it gives me a sense of sort of what, what I need to do to carry on the rest of my day uh, so that I have a sense as these things unfold, this is what I need to be dealing with and so forth. The second thing I have to look at there is my priorities. What are my priorities? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, I don't know what your day is like, Zach, but mine is about 20 kajillion things I need to try and get done. And they can often be fairly small things. I, I, my life doesn't have a lot of, big projects where I work on it long hours at a time. It's, you know, dozens and dozens of emails, those kinds of things. And um, the tendency is for me to just try and get it all done and get yeah. it. And, and and I deal with that in the order of the thing that's bugging me the most. First. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, again, that's a trap that the enemy can set up for me. And it will get me started in a grumpy way. So if I just know what my priority is, what do I work on first, what second, so on and so forth. That gives me a much better, again, thumbnail sketch for what this day needs to, generally speaking, look like. So I know I'm when I'm in and out of where the Lord wants me. Let's go to the uh, counter scheduling viewpoint. Lee, why don't you walk us <laughs> through your morning? Yeah, I I, 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 I do like to get up early. I, I'm a, I'm the kind of person that uh, uh, it's, it's not that I don't like people or anything like that, but I'm the kind of person that that I, I recharge my batteries when I'm alone. So I, so you know it's it's one of those deals that if I'm going to have to be a human around other people then I need a good long stretch of time where I can be by myself where there's no human beings around. That's part of my personality. I guess you know on the uh what is it the Myers-Briggs or something it's one of those sure. it's some kind of you know introverted whatever. And so uh so I I do I, I get up early in the morning and I I go to a place where there's no other people and I spend some time by myself. Um, I think about stuff, I read stuff, I sing stuff, I, you know, play music, um, sometimes just take a walk. Um, I, I, I do this at different places. I mean, for me, it's, it's real easy for me to, for things to get routine and stale. And so I'm always kind of like, you know, I'll find a new place to do this, to hang out, to, to read and to think. I've got a little book that I write prayers down in. And the only reason I do that is not because journaling is holy. It's because it helps me focus. And I, yeah. I just yeah. I just get through it quick. Um, not, mm -hmm. not that I'm trying to get through it quick, but I'm just trying to be focused about it. 
and I read some scripture and I, and when I do, I'm looking for something. I'm looking for him. I'm looking for Jesus. Yeah. I'm looking for what does he have for me? Who does he say that I am? Um, I, I'm looking for, I'm looking to get recentered on, uh, what are we, what, what, what are we doing? What's my day supposed to be about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to listen more. Um, I, I am trying to make some, I am trying to create some space on purpose to listen to him. And for that yeah. part of my day, I do not have an agenda. I really, really try not to. Um, for me, I, you know, uh, like uh, for me, as far as the, as the stress of the day, and this is maybe similar to what Glenn does, but I've got like a, I've got this tiny little, I've got this, the tiniest little notebook that um, I keep in my back pocket and I write down the deliverables, the things I've got to get done this week. Mm. And I just write them all down. And as I take care of them, I cross them off. That's just a basic, really stupid organizational thing that just works for me. And I'm not saying that's the thing that's going to work for you, but it, you know, it is good to try some different things out and try to figure out what organizational thing can I do that reduces the stress of my list of deliverables. You know, I mean, that works for me. I mean, I've got in my little book, I've got people I need to meet with this week, letters I want to write this week, um, the things, the things that I want to cross off my list. And I do try to prioritize those and, you know, and so on, or I know which day some of those things fall on. But that's my thing is I, I want to get up. I want to get to a quiet place. I do not want any other human beings to be in the vicinity and I'm looking for him and I'm looking to find out who I am and I'm trying to listen a lot. Yeah. That's great, Jed. Well, I think just to build on, on what both these brothers have given you great wisdom, I think what you're describing is you're stressed out. You've got too much stuff on your docket, too many things are being expected of you. In a weird paradoxical way, one of the key things you need to do, it, the best time to start is when you first get up, but you should repeat this throughout the day, is you need to assert that you come first in your own life. Um, in other words, Americans live in a culture of um, work is everything. Just you're here to produce. You're here for output. You don't want to live that way. Um, You you actually come first in your own life. And I mean that in a godly sense. I don't mean that in a a selfish sense. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't do the work that God has for you. So, you know, as an example of that, all of us on this podcast, you may not know this, but the world of missions is not a high paying one. (laughs) Um, All of us on this podcast know what it is to be so broke. We're not sure we can pay rent. Um, Right. And when you get there, this will sound weird uh, because it's unexpected, but one of the best things you can do is say, I'm going to the movies and I'm going to order the big popcorn. Yeah, you're right. Right, right. right I'm going to go there. I'm getting it with extra butter. I'm getting, you know what? I, you know, scratch that. The big popcorn combo platter that comes with the hot dog. Right. And the snow caps. Yeah. That's what's going on. Because if you don't. And the amoebic dysentery. Well, obviously. I mean, that goes without saying, (laughs) you know, but. This is the thing. If you don't assert kind of your own importance, you're going to get eaten alive by all that stress. So, for example, if you have 8,000 things that you're supposed to do today, yes, you should start your day well. You should do it the way these brothers have said. You should also every hour take a break and do something that's just for you. Absolutely. Um, whether that's – and that, that doesn't need to be holy at all. That need, I'm talking playing Madden. I'm talking about you know rocking out to a new CD, whatever it is. But you've got to take breaks for your own mental health and assert to yourself – Caring for myself comes before this work. If I won't care for myself, I can't do this work. Therefore, that has to come first. But uh, you're a good dude, brother. We love you. You're worth taking care of. Um, Don't fall into that trap of thinking you're only here to produce. You're not. Take care of yourself. 
Amen. That's absolutely right. I'll close this out by saying um, one of the things you got to do is continue to experiment. There's no mm-hmm. one right way to do it. There's also no one right way to do it for you. Yes. That will change. Some some of that change will be an evolution of you'll find stuff, you'll drop stuff. Some of that will be just, this is what I need right now. Like, yeah. I can personally, I don't know about the other guys, I mean, you want the Bible to be part of that in a pretty big way, but there are times where if I if the thing that's stressing me out is writing a Bible study or a sermon or something— I'm going to read something else. I'm going to yeah. listen to a song that's spiritual but not Bible-y. I'm going to yeah. you got to find a way around that. The uh, you don't want to run straight at the thing that's stressing you out and yeah. for if you're like a volunteer young life leader or you help out at the church or sometimes the Jesus stuff is the stuff stressing you out. Yeah. So you got to go straight to Jesus but not to the Jesus stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cuz that'll just make your problem worse. It's a good word. All right, let's go to our last question here. This came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. It says, "How do I know if a relationship is healthy?" Sometimes it's not so obvious, like it's good enough to stay, but not bad enough to leave. Not good enough to stay, but not bad enough to leave. Pardon me. I wanted to love someone despite their flaws like God does for me. Was that a crazy idea? Lee, start us off. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for writing this question. It's a really sharp question. It's a good thing to be asking. And the, the thing that I would say on this, there's a, there's a lot of different angles that we could take this from. But the thing that I would ask you is... Well, first of all, I'd say that every single relationship that you're going to be in for the rest of your life is going to involve loving people who have flaws and giving them grace when they when they need it, because we're all absolutely we're all flawed and none of us are perfect. So so you're whatever relationship you're in, no matter how healthy it is, you're going to have some stuff you got to put up with, some stuff you got to forbear, some stuff you got to forgive. That's that that's that's this fallen world. However, when, when you're looking at, so how do I know if this is unhealthy, that kind of stuff? Let me ask you this. Are there problems that other people who love you are noticing and bringing up? Like, are there things in your relationship where someone in your life who cares about you, maybe it's a sibling who you really respect or a parent who's who's got a good head for this kind of stuff or a, a pastor or a friend at church or something like that, or even somebody you work with, are, are there people in your life who come to you and say, Hey, look, I don't, I, I, I'm not trying to pry, but um, I, I just wonder how this thing is going because it looks kind of, this doesn't look great from, from the outside. Um, if you have somebody in your life who has taken the risk to, to have that conversation with you, and if you respect that person, you know that they love you and, and that they generally know what they're talking about, it's time to take a step back and say, is this is this unhealthy? This may be unhealthy. Uh, I've known people who have a chorus of people in their life saying, this is not healthy. And they're just shooting yeah. past all of mm. it. It's like mm. that. Uh, it's like, I was using this illustration earlier today. It was like, it's talking to somebody. It's like, it's like one of those, when you're watching the winter Olympics and somebody's doing a downhill ski run and they just get it's just a bad run and they're just blowing through every gate. They're just hitting every single gate on the way down the mountain. And it is just the time is climbing. You just know this is bad. This is not, this is not going the way they wanted to. If you have a chorus of people that you love and trust who are telling you, I've got some serious concerns. It's time to really step back and look at this thing. And that's kind of a, a big red flag to know that it's unhealthy. The other thing I would say is if you sense there's something weird in this relationship and you bring it up with the person you're in a relationship with, what's the response? Is okay. it, okay. is there a response? Man, I'm so glad that we're talking. Um, let, let me, let me give you, let me give you some pushback from my perspective. 
Uh, let's 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 try to see this from each other's point of view. Or yeah. do you bring up this one little thing and they hit the ceiling? I mean, is it yeah. World yeah. War Three? Mm. Because if somebody can't respond in a good way at all to to a you know to a slight problem or criticism or something that we bring up, that's one really sure sign that that you're you're in an unhealthy situation. If you can't have a conversation, just to we're just trying to to assess some things. We're just trying to look at it. If they can't even handle that. Yeah. Amen. I think that's a great point. I think that speaks to the, something a lot of us may be a little uncomfortable with the idea of looking at relationships this way, but you're basically asking, was it crazy to put so much into this relationship? And the answer is that depends based on what you're getting out of it. Right, Jed? Absolutely. Absolutely. This will sound wrong, but I want you to, to stay with for a brief second. Think of your relationship as an investment. Okay, because you're going to put a lot into it. You're going to put a lot of money into it. You're going to put a lot of time into it, a lot of energy. Question is, what's coming out of it? On the other side of that investment, what's being produced? So, so here are some examples of good things that could be produced. Um, you guys are a team that's able to serve the Lord more effectively together than you could separately. Um, you're, you're both able to encourage and spur each other on towards a deeper and more vibrant walk with the Lord. Uh, you're able to uh, support and encourage each other and bear each other's burdens so that you, you know, uh, your rough times are less rough. You're able to celebrate each other's victories so that your good times are better. Those are all returns on investment that you would expect to see in a healthy Christian relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, to be clear, it takes time to build to those. You know, those don't just happen overnight. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time to get there. But those are the kind of things where you you would expect in in due time to see those and to see them in increasing measure. You get better and better at serving the Lord together, better at bearing each other's burdens, better at celebrating each other's victories. If you're not seeing any of those things— if no, you know, not only is this not helping us serve the Lord together, you know, my walk with the Lord has taken a nosedive since we started right. dating. Well, that's that's a warning sign. If it's no, not only are we not bearing each other's burdens, everything's there's way more drama in my life now than there was before. Yeah. I have way less peace than I did before. That's a little bit of a warning sign. Mm-hmm. If it's oh no, we're not celebrating each other's victories. We tear each other down. You know, I mean, it's it's a constant there. There's no chance of us saying you did a good job with that. It's a constant litany of everything we hate about each other. That's a warning sign. Yeah. The truth is the Lord, if you read a lot of Jesus's parables, the Lord expects us to ask this investment question about the things that we're involved with in our lives. Mm -hmm. What kind of fruit is this producing? I'm putting the, the most precious thing of all my life into this. I'm investing myself into it. I have nothing more precious than I can invest in that. What's coming out of this? Mm -hmm. Is this producing anything that's glorifying God? Mm -hmm. If it's not, at the very least, we need to pull up and re-examine. It's time for an in-depth conversation with that other person. It's time for some careful prayer, some in-depth conversation with a mentor. But but to, to get there to start, we have to ask, what kind of return are we seeing on the investment that is this relationship? That's an excellent point. I think both what Glenn, both of what Lee and Jed are saying points to a kind of maybe if we zoom the camera out a little bit, and you can speak to this, Glenn. It is biblical to love someone in spite of their flaws. The Bible says nothing about dating someone in spite of their flaws. That's the whole thing. Yeah, it's, it, it, when it comes right down to it, uh, we're putting sort of a grace mentality or grace focus into uh, a situation that doesn't call for it. Uh, think of it like this. Um, if you watched old Seinfeld reruns, there's this one episode where uh, his uh, his friends are, are talking about all the women that he's broken up with for a silly reason. Sure. 
And they said, well, what about so-and-so? And he said, she had man hands. <laughs> and then the, Which is so, wrong. Yeah, what about so-and-so? She smelled like soup. You know, well, yeah, it's like, <laughs> what on earth? And it's it, it's an extreme of, yeah. I broke up with someone for a frivolous reason. Christian dating these days, I think, has swung to the other opposite and equally laughable extreme of, we are going to stay together together no matter what because that's a super christian thing to do i think we've told this story recently on the podcast but it's one of my favorites so it's worth bringing up again guy we're working with the bridge take taking him from the bridge to, i think a shelter or a bus stop one yeah, night yeah. And I was, man, brother how, how you're, he was kind of new to chicago so what brings you here i think i said man my girl uh a little trouble girl so i'm sorry how was what anything serious well she put a head out on me right i think i'd been in this job like two months at that point i was like oh Okay. <laughs> and to be clear, for, for those of you who don't know the lingo, that means she hired someone to kill him. Yes. Right. Um, and, but that wasn't the end of his sentence. The sentence was, I mean, yeah, she, she tried to get me killed. She's still my world. Yeah. <laughs> that, no, 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 she's not. She, no, she, she's not. She's trying to end your world. Yes. Yeah. But that's, oh, that's not, as Glenn's point, that's only marginally more crazy. Well, they're super mean to me, and their parents hate me, and it's all drama and terror, but, but... I still just, you know, I just want to love him like Jesus does. Yeah, yeah, that's the, yeah. that's the exact thing is um, uh, we have this mentality towards dating that um, that the more we hang in there for, the more Christian we are. Yeah. yeah. And that really just does not work. The beautiful part about dating is that you <clears throat> are in a relationship where you're not committed to be together forever. Yeah. Yes, dating is not pre-engagement. It is really not. And that's that's why we do it. Is to get into these relationships and at some point and uh it's it's between you and the Lord but at some point you recognize as Jez saying we are not getting anything positive out of yep. this thing. And I don't know how many couples I've sat down with where the wheels have come off the wagon <laughs> The plane has crashed into the side of the mountain. Yep, yep, there yep. is no possible way. But they've all just come from some seminar or some church thing. Well, so-and-so stood up and said they had problems in their marriage. And they worked and they worked and then they worked it out. So we figure we should do that. And he said, well, okay. First Are of you all, working it out? First of all, you're not Are working you it married? out. Second of all, you're, you're not married. So this does not apply to you in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, everybody has to deal with an individual case on this. It's great to hear a testimony that inspires you, uh, but it's really about recognizing if this has gotten to an unhealthy place and there aren't two people working as hard as they can to change that, then we're, we're, we've already got a, a dead relationship that needs to just have the decency to lay down and be buried. You know, Absolutely, Jed. Well, look, just to build on that, I know this is something that Christians really don't like to talk about, but it's really important because you kind of can't have healthy relationships without it. You need to know what you deserve to have in a healthy relationship. Yes, I know if we got what we deserved, we would all be in hell. We get it. Fine. Yes. Put that email in your drafts folder. Don't send it. Yeah. We've already gotten it. Because Jesus loves you, because he shed his blood on a cross for you, there are things as his adopted child you do deserve to have. Let us now discuss what some of those things are. If you're in a serious dating relationship, and to be clear, we're not talking about you've been out for coffee a couple times. We're talking about, you know, this is, you know, you know, months on to years and you guys, you know, you're serious and whatnot. A, you deserve to be with a person who is sure that they want to be with you. Hello. I stole that from Uncle Glenn. Yeah. It's also completely true. It's all the rage. It's all it's, the rage. It's, it's going what around. all the cool kids are doing. Let me repeat it. 
You deserve to be with someone who is sure they want to be with you. And again, we're talking about a serious dating relationship here. If someone's like, oh, I don't know, and besides, and so forth, then we need to go ahead and, and stop right now. Mm-hmm. If, if someone is not sure they want to be with you in the context of a serious relationship, right. that's a non-starter. There's no question right, about right. it. Next, you need to be with someone, you deserve to be with someone who wants to serve you. Right. That is a biblical mandate in both directions, right. uh, male towards female, female towards male, in right. both directions. There's a biblical mandate to serve one another in love. If you are with a person who does not want to do that, you should not be with that person. Right. If you do not want to do that, you should not be with that person. Right. That's not to say that they can't grow and come to a place later in their life where, where it's different, but today, that's a non-starter. To be clear, I'm not saying that you deserve to be with a person who in all things, at all times, no matter what always has a servant's heart that's not what i'm talking about but i'm talking about in the main someone says i i love you and i want to serve you because of that love you deserve to have that god wants that for you final thing on that you deserve to be with someone who's sure they want to be with you who wants to serve you and this is a key thing who's willing to sacrifice in order to see those two things happen Love demands sacrifice. Service demands sacrifice. There, there is no love without sacrifice. If you're with someone who has huge issues and you say, hey, you kind of have some issues. Can we look at that? And they go, hey, love me, love my issues. Let me translate that. <laughs> That's saying I'm not going to sacrifice anything for you or for this right. relationship. Yep. This is all you get. Exactly yeah. right. If there is no sacrifice, there is no love. I know that sounds harsh, but that that's right. actually the truth. That's yeah. that that is the, the nature of Christian love. You deserve to be with someone who is on all three of those things. If you're not with someone who's on all three of those things, again, at the very least, it's time to take a long, hard look at this relationship. And you've heard a lot of good stuff. One thing I will close this out on a little more of a uh, theological point, which I'm very uncomfortable with, but I'm going to do anyway, is um, there's a massive misrepresentation of how Jesus dealt with people yeah. in the whole... You know, Jesus, we're supposed to love people like Jesus loved us. That's true. That's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. When people weren't trying to hear what he had to say, Jesus left their town. Right. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, if you ask to enter someone's house and they don't want you in there, shake the dust off your sandals and don't go back there. Right. There's a difference of the kind of God side. Jesus loves us in spite of our flaws. And that's true. He's also working with us to work through those flaws. That's yeah. a key part. But this whole idea of I should just put up with whatever kind of negative treatment because that's what Jesus did is, A, wrongheaded because you ain't Jesus, sweetheart. That's not mm. how that works. But B, is also a critical misunderstanding of Scripture. Yes. And as with all stuff like that, misrepresentations of kind of things like that, you have to start asking yourself, why would a person say that yeah. if it's not what's in there? And the answer is because that makes people highly manipulatable. Yep. That's both on a personal level, because all four of us in this podcast, I guarantee you, have been told, have been either, you know, stood up for ourselves to a family member, a friend, said, I thought you were supposed to be all Christian about stuff. Like, well, you you threw batteries at me. So I'm going to pass on that, actually. Yeah, it's it's not being a doormat. That's not the definition. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't. We try not to get into this stuff too much, but also maybe if I ran a giant Christian corporation that was super crooked, I would want to point out, hey, you should just put up with whatever yeah. anyone wants to give you because mm-hmm. why, what, what do you get to have expectations of two-way relationships all of a sudden? Jed? 
Just real quick final point, just something grist for the mill. All of us on this podcast do quite a bit of counseling with people going through rough times, rough relationships. We've heard this chorus of, hey, I know it's a terrible relationship, but I just want to love them the way Jesus loved me. We've all heard that a thousand times. Here's what you need to know. It doesn't work. No. Nope. Right. The, the, they're not interested in changing. The, and they're also not asking Jesus what it means for them to love this right. person that way. That's they have assumed true. that they know what that means and have just skipped over the whole relationship relationship with God part. Every time we see a relationship where, as you point out, they're not turning to Jesus to get wisdom, they're not listening to the Lord, they're going on their own idea, which is pride, of what it means to love someone they're the way Jesus does. Jesus. They're trying to be Jesus. They're with a person who's mistreating them, not interested in changing, and saying, you should suck it up. It never works. Right. Um, just, yeah. just so you know, from four guys that have done this for a while, it never works. Yeah. Right. Um, you do way, way, way better to declare it not working now and either exit it or change it on your own terms than to wait till you've reached a point of now I can't stand yeah. it anymore. And then you do act unchristian towards that person because right, right, right. you're coming from a place of understandable rage. Right. It's always, always a, a, a bad idea. And, and as you say, it always leads to failure when you say, I'm going to try to be good enough to make up for this person yeah, being bad not or work. dysfunctional or whatever it yeah. is. I'm going to cover my be be right and good, Adam, Adam, yep. and then yep. it'll, they'll it'll even it out. That I'm going to be yeah. in this dating relationship enough for the both of us. Yeah, and that's it, that doesn't work. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next week when I'm going to put in paperwork to the podcast administration to get this renamed Understandable Rage, because I think that really works for us. Uh, thanks for lighting in. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. If you're writing in the Tumblr, mention you want it on the podcast, we make sure to get in there. One more time, I want to thank Sandra McCracken for yes, joining us. Thanks, Sandra. Woo! A lot of fun. Enjoy Tiger a lot. And Fancy. she was also gracious enough to give us permission to use one of her songs as the outro. So this is a one of her um, kind of more uh, widely used hymns, a lot of people, you may have heard, I've heard other bands have covered this. This is Sam McGrath's version of the song called My Mercy, My God. Really good, good stuff. So join us next week. Don't forget, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing to do with The Say That Podcast. Mail us your chickens. <laughs> Thy mercy, my God, is the theme of my song. The joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue.
Mercy and pardon and righteousness, my.